This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. It's the Friday before Halloween, and we're sharing our favorite scary Colorado stories. We've got a true crime murder, a classic haunting, and a ghost story I guarantee you've never heard before. Plus, we talk about the best local haunted house attractions that you can check out for yourself this weekend. If you dare. (laughs) Today is Friday, October 28th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city where even Jesus wants to come watch Nikola Jokic. Thad, did you see the Nuggets game last night? Apparently there was a guy dressed as Jesus there. No, I haven't, but Tia saw Jokic at the store the other day. Your Tia did? Mm-hmm. Which King Supers does he shop at? Oh, I don't I don't know if I should say that. Oh, I know which one <laughs> Tia works at. It's a fancier one. Okay. It's like South South Denver. Perhaps. He'll okay. neither confirm nor deny. No. But she said he was super nice. I'll just I'll just Facebook Tia and ask her. She will tell you. <laughs> 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 so uh, I'm here today with uh, my friend Thad Mile. Thad, welcome. Thanks for having me. So Thad is a co-curator of uh, Understudy, which is a gallery here in Denver that um, not only showcases local artists but helps fund their dreams. Basically, can you explain just a little bit about what Understudy does, Thad? Sure. Understudy is a program that's a subsidiary of a nonprofit called the Denver Theater District. And what we do is we take 15% of ad sales from the digital screens downtown that you see. So those big screens with ads on them. Yeah. So we we also have some traditional static billboards too, but 15% of all the revenue that goes to those boards, we're able to spend on public art. So we can do whatever we want with that money as long as it goes back to public art that's free for the people. And so Understudy is one of those programs. That's awesome. But that's not why I have you here today. We're going to be talking about haunted houses. Before we go there, um, I've got newsletter editor Peyton Garcia. Hi, guys. And uh, producer Erin O'Toole. Hello. Um, So we're talking spooky stuff. Uh, I want to hear everybody's best spooky stories. Peyton, I'm going to start with you. You're going to share a local scary story with us. Yeah, so my tale's about murder. It's a sunny February morning, 1960, and a milkman is on his way to the Golden Morrison area for his rounds. He comes upon a bridge that he has to cross, and there's a van blocking it. He lays on the horn. The van doesn't move. He gets out to inspect it. He sees that the engine is running and the radio is on but there's nobody there. So he waits a little while, keeps honking the horn, nobody comes. He calls the cops, the cops come, they check it out, they're able to confirm that the van belongs to one Adolf Coors III, meaning the Adolf Coors, chairman of Coors Brewing, and grandson of Adolf Coors I, who founded Coors Brewing. He lives on a ranch nearby in Morrison with his wife Mary and his four kids. 
They confirm that he never showed up for work. And then the police start processing what appears to be a crime scene. They find a little bit of blood spatter on the bridge and a hat and a pair of eyeglasses that they can also confirm belong to Adolf Coors. So a search ensues, one of the largest of the time. They've got men on horses. They've got people on foot. They've got people in cars. They spend the whole rest of the night looking for Adolf. Can't find him. The next day, Mary, Adolf's wife, receives a ransom note. It's written on a typewriter. And it's promising Adolf's safe return for in exchange for $500,000 in cash. She needs to pull out the money and then put an ad in the Denver Post for a John Deere tractor. That's how the kidnappers are going to know that she has the money and she's ready to make the exchange. They pull out the money, um, they put in the ad, and nothing happens. They never hear from the kidnapper again. So over the next couple of days, local authorities start doing some good old-fashioned police work. They do a ton of cool stuff with forensic technology um, that I won't get into right now, but y'all can look it up. It's really cool. Anyways, all the clues end up pointing to this guy named Walter Osborne, um, who's been living in a Capitol Hill apartment for the last four and a half years. They find out that Walter Osborne's an alias. His real name is Joseph Corbett Jr., and he's a fugitive. He's put on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, the largest manhunt in history at that time then ensues. They're searching everywhere for this guy. But the whole summer goes by. Eight months go by and they find nothing on Adolf and they find nothing on Joseph Corbett Jr. Until September, some hikers are hiking up near Pikes Peak. They find some tattered clothes uh, that match the description of what Adolf had been last seen in. They call the police, the police do a search, and they do indeed find the skeletal remains of Adolf Kors. So, whether this, I think that, I don't know if this just renewed interest or if the timing was coincidental, but the following month in October, the FBI um, leads that the FBI has takes them to Canada. And they follow leads all across Toronto and Vancouver until they zero in on a hotel where they know Joseph Corbett is staying. They approach the hotel, they knock, reports say that he came out and he said, I give up, I'm your man, I did it. He pleads not guilty. He spends the rest of his life saying he had nothing to do with this. Here's the sad part though. I mean, it's all really sad. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna it's say. all really sad. But police have enough evidence to paint a picture of what actually happened to Adolf Coors the day he went missing. And what happened is that Joseph Corbett had been like tailing Adolf Coors for a while. This was totally premeditated. He had plans to kidnap, you know, this super wealthy, important guy and hold him for ransom. He had even been telling his coworkers that he was going to come into a lot of money soon. And so he'd been tailing him. His plan was to go and block that bridge with his car, pretend like he was having car trouble. But Adolf Kors is a big dude. He's 6'2", and uh, he fights back. And I don't think Joseph Corbett was anticipating that. So he fights back. He gets away from him because Joseph Corbett tries to beat him up and put him in his car. And then as Adolf is running back to his car, Corbett panics, pulls out a gun, shoots him twice, and he's dead. So he was dead the entire time. He was never alive. The ransom never meant anything. He was just, it was a kidnapping that got totally botched. It's it's a true crime. I, I mean, there's no haunting involved. I don't think that Adolf <laughs> like haunts Coors Brewing or anything. 
But it, I found it to be, I love true crime and I found it to be an incredibly fascinating story. And a lot of people um, that I've mentioned it to didn't even realize that it was a thing, at least in my generation. Yeah, I'd never heard people of it hadn't, before you yeah, talked Yeah, didn't about know it. that. Um, and I have to say, I read the book by Philip Jett. It's called um, Death of an Heir, The Murder of... Adolf Coors or something like that. Um, we can link to it in the show notes. But he does, Philip Jett does an incredible job. It came out last year and he does a really, really awesome job covering the whole story. It's really fascinating. Erin, you have something spooky for us. We've done true crime. <laughs> yeah. That will do spooky. Um, I think this is a, a, a story that a lot of people who've lived in Denver for a while do know about. It was new to me. And that is the story of what lies beneath Cheeseman Park. So Bree, Thad, Peyton, you already know that it was once Prospect Hill Cemetery. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I just dug in a little bit and kudos to the Denver Public Library. Their archives are amazing yes. <laughs> to, to find out what was So the first body was buried there in 1859. Rumor has it, it was a murderer thrown into the same grave as his murder victim. What? Who was also his brother. Oh. Hmm. Gosh. That may be just for effect. I don't know if that's true well, it or not. Seems pretty sensational. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to choose to believe it. So long story short, in 1872, there's some, you know, finagling over who owns the land. Mm. Basically, the U.S. government deeds it to the city of Denver. It's renamed the Denver City Cemetery for a while. So, but we still remember it as Prospect Hill because that's a better name. Yeah, it sounds cooler. It just sounds like a much better place to to be buried. The, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, time goes on, years go by. Denver is growing so fast, and there are other cemeteries that start opening up, and, and they're better. They have water, so you can have trees, and it looks beautiful. And Mount Prospect starts dying off. It just it, it becomes an eyesore, and eventually people start pleading. Can we please turn this into a park? Also, think about the location. It's right in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. I bet people didn't want to live near that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of real estate developers in particular are like, this is is gross. This is an eyesore. Can we please turn it into a park? So a Colorado state senator named Henry Moore Teller had to actually go to Congress and ask them, can we please make it a park? They granted that authorization, and in 1890... That's when it happened, and that's why the area around it is named Congress Park. Oh. Okay, so all that is to say, here's where it gets really weird. Mm -hmm. After they designate this cemetery as a park, families were given 90 days to go in and get the bodies of their loved ones, take them out, and rebury them elsewhere. As you can imagine, families who were well-off could totally do that, but there were a lot of people basically buried in mass graves who did not have the means (gasps) Yeah, especially with like a potter's field where like people are maybe don't have any family or family doesn't know they're buried there. So a couple years go by, there's still maybe two to 5,000 bodies still there. Oh, dang. And so in 1893, that's when the city said, all right, we got to do something. So they call this undertaker, E.P. McGovern. And they're like, look, we will give you a contract. We're going to pay you per coffin to go get these bodies out and rebury them somewhere else. So I think it was a dollar ninety per coffin. So he kind of starts the work. It's not really going well, and then he gets greedy and he figures out, you know what? I'm gonna get child-sized coffins, and I'm gonna hack apart these bodies. Oh. 
So instead of one coffin, I can sell three. What a grift. I'm going to triple what my money. What a disgusting grift. <laughs> so, some might say entrepreneurial. Anywho, <laughs> it was a mess. I mean, there were, there were body parts and bones strewn everywhere by some historians' accounts. There were people just going every day to look and see what was going on. People were helping themselves to what was in the caskets, people buried with jewelry, oh. keepsakes and things like that. So after a little while, the mayor cancels the contract. They actually, I think, bring McGovern up on charges. So a couple years later, the city builds a temporary fence around the park, and then they start leveling in preparation for the park, but they never move the bodies. So that's why Cheeseman Park is absolutely a beautiful place. It just... It's had some real tragic stuff happen there. Yeah, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I get these overwhelming feelings of dread and sadness when I'm there, and if that's ever happened to you... Now you know why. And to this day, when they do any sort of construction, from time to time, they still uncover remains. You're absolutely right. In 2010, they were working on something like a sprinkler or irrigation system, and they unearthed (gasps) four preserved skeletons. No! That's so (gasps) crazy. Apparently, there are hundreds, if not thousands of bodies that are still there, buried in Cheeseman Park. Restless souls, for sure. And it also happens in the neighborhood around it. So some of the homes there, Mm, they're mm -hmm. just straight up haunted. So a fun thing you can do in the spring, if you go visit Cheeseman right when the grass is starting to turn green, you can see the plots, actually. Oh, Oh, really? I like that you describe that as something fun to do in the spring, but I'm about it. It's interesting, you know? Yeah, that's cool. You can actually picture the cemetery. So have you ever had an experience like that in Cheeseman Park? Not in Cheeseman Park, but I did live in Cap Hill for a while, and I did have a haunted experience oh, in yeah. the building I lived in. That was the haunted ghost story that I brought to the table. Oh, oh, it's my, my very well. own personal one, yes. If you want, I can, go for it. I can tell it to yep, you. Yep, okay. yep, go for it. <laughs> so I lived on 14th in Pennsylvania, um, which is right across the street from the Salvation Army headquarters. Um, but the Acacia at one point was a very fancy hotel where the mayors would put their mistresses up or that, you know, that kind of thing. One of the turn of the century mayors had a mistress <laughs> stayed up there and she decided she would give him an ultimatum, me or your wife. And he chose his wife. So um, on the night of his inauguration, she took her life in the Acacia. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I didn't know any of this, but I, I lived there um, as a college kid. And uh, one night I was sleeping on my couch and the way that the, the couch is situated, you can kind of see the front door. Um, and I woke up from, the, from this nap and the front door was open and there was a woman out in the hallway, kind of like wandering around, not paying attention to me. But as soon as I sat up, she noticed me and kind of looked at me really angrily and then just started charging at me. So I got really scared and I jumped up and I slammed the door. And like, as soon as I slammed it, she reached the door and started pounding on it. And I was just so so scared. And I I don't know if anybody has ever experienced like a, like a terrifying experience, like straight from waking up, but you're kind of in disbelief. Like, is this happening? I don't know. So all I did was I just went into my room and went back to bed. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like, whoa, did that really happen? Like, that was really strange. And I started doing a little bit of research and there's a lot of like haunted Denver 
books and that kind of thing and websites. And sure enough, I found the story about the mistress. Like putting it all back together in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that she was kind of dressed like fancy, but like not modern. <laughs> you do like all the things that someone who tells you a ghost story. Like, oh, was she kind of see-through? Does she have legs? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Did she run? Did she glide? Was she floating? Uh, the other thing they said, though, that kind of took me out of this whole thing. I'm always skeptical. I'm, I don't know if I'm like a true believer, but I do have firsthand experiences. They said that sometimes blood comes out of the faucets, and I was like, well, red water comes out of the faucets, uh, but it's like what? rust. It's like rusty water. It's not. Are That's you what sure? They want you to think. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our love for haunted houses. And we're back, and we're talking scary stuff, scary stories, hauntings, and I wanted to talk about haunted houses. That's the big reason I wanted to bring you on today, Thad, because I know that you love haunted houses. I love haunted houses. Why do you love them? Being scared. I feel like it's one of the few authentic emotions that you can't easily buy. You can. can and can we clarify you're talking like the costumed haunted houses? Like the where, ev- attraction. The yes. attraction okay. of the okay. haunted house. Where the clowns chase you with the chainsaws. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. There's Wait, some, uh, what, what's that tone you got I there? know, I was like, the way Dayton's saying that, I feel like she does, she, like me, does not I like haunted houses. haunted houses. The, the funny thing is, is I love real haunted stuff. Like, I, I'll go, you tell me something's haunted, oh, for sure. You tell me my apartment's haunted, I'm not leaving, I'm renewing my lease. Yeah. I think that stuff's cool. The fake haunted houses, I don't know. I think my mom took me too young. Um, I have a very, very distinct memory, my whole family remembers it, of them taking me to a haunted house, and I just sobbed the whole time, like... It's terrible. You want to see a grown woman cry. like You have a friend in Brie because Brie hates haunted houses too. No, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Okay, but the one time we went, we even got... So there's this group called Colorado Movie Cars. And uh, this gentleman, Kevin, owned the Ghostbusters. The Ecto van. The Ecto van? Is that what it's called? He like had a read... What was it? Like a Chrysler? Oh. He he was a newer car. It looked like a hearse though. But he made it... Mm. Yeah, he made it look like the Ecto van. And it had... It was tricked out though. It had laser beams. It had fog machines. It had a... uh, Intercom system that you could talk to people. It had speakers. It was insane. Music. And I got this offer from him. He was like, I do this Colorado movie cars tour where... Um, I take people to all these different haunted houses and you get VIP, you get to pull up. I play the Ghostbusters theme. You get out, you walk to the front of the line, you cut everybody off. And I was like, cool. I know a bunch of people that want to go on that. And I will sit in the car with you at every stop. And that's what you did. (laughs) did. Uh, (laughs) You didn't go through one. Not a single one. It was that my husband, Greg and um, our friend Casey. And like, they had the time of their lives. And I just sat in the car all night. The amount of times my FOMO has been like, I'll go with you guys, but I'm just going to sit outside for the half hour you're in there. (laughs) Have fun. I'm like, I want to go hang out yeah. i just don't want to go yeah. in the haunted house okay but that tell us tell us about haunted house you're the expert here okay yes so um based on my research i think haunted houses originated in england in 1910 1915 and they were like an offshoot of kind of the carny seance spiritualist kind of movement that was That's, happening that makes total yes, sense yes. for that time yeah so so as those became they, they started as side shows as they became more popular, became their own shows, and that's where you get the haunted house attraction. Okay. So, um, American haunted houses, though, didn't first appear until the Great Depression, which is also the same time that we got trick-or-treating, going door-to-door asking for food. 
Hmm. So those kind of go hand in hand. That's really sad. (laughs) That is sad. I had no idea. I didn't either. I didn't know that either. Oh, Very cool. I mean, not cool, but like interesting. Interesting to know. (laughs) Yeah. So um, after that, obviously, it was really popular. And through the 80s and 90s, it really exploded. And that leads us to today. I mean, there's a lot more other steps. But for the purposes of our conversation today, there's like really four professional, four categories of professional haunted houses. Okay. So you have the mega haunt which are Six Flags, Brutal Planet. Uh, They have franchises across the country. Like 13th Floor, is that one? 13th Floor, I would say, is probably the next step down, which would be a professional haunt. I'll stop stop guessing. No, no, I think think that's a good guess because there's a couple that are in between, which I'll I'll get to in a second. But um, 13th Floor, I would consider a professional haunt. There's one location. It's kind of like a staple, but it's predictable. Like you said, there's the chainsaw guy. There's that kind of stuff. It's very cookie cutter. It's really cool though. I'm not, I don't want to talk down about those kind of things. They serve a purpose. Then you have the charity haunt, which was actually how uh, first ha- the early haunted houses gained popularity. They were like charities for churches and stuff. For churches though. Yeah. I remember going to church haunted houses. Hell House. okay. Nope, separate, uh, separate from Hell House. Okay. We'll talk about Hell House. Yeah, Hell House we'll put yeah. on the table for later. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so but there's actually, there's um there's a charity haunted house going on in uh, Central Park neighborhood right now. It's some a couple that's uh, they created a haunted house in their oh in their garage in their garage and backyard and they yeah. give all that money to charity. So that's a good example of a oh. charity haunted house. Okay, and then what's the last one? My favorite, the DIY haunted house. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language because when I was a kid, my cousin and I were about the same age. We loved haunted houses. We were obsessed, and we would make one in our garage. But all it was was just a really dark space and <laughs> bowls of cooked spaghetti. And we'd make our parents, stick your hand in this, it's worms. That's To me, those are the, the best kind of haunted houses because they're very original and unique. You don't know what to expect. And also on the other side of things, it, it sparks a lifelong interest in Halloween in most people. Like you get or a, a lifelong fear. I know. I was like, or... Fear. Terrifying. Or it scars you for the rest of your life. Thanks, Mom. So speaking of that style, I know there's one here in Denver that you love for that reason, like a DIY style haunted house, but it's like kind of next level. Like you buy tickets and stuff. I can't remember if I've taken you to that and you sat in the parking lot. No, I've just heard from Greg about it. The junkyard? The junkyard. The haunted junkyard. Yeah. It's really cool. So when you say DIY, you're saying it's just like like a, a a regular person who makes this like in like in a space a f- that they have. This family yeah. does it in their junkyard. Okay. Yeah. Do they have actors? Because I know a lot of, you know. That's the question. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but mm-hmm. um, the Honda Junkyard does have actors. They're really good. It kind of <laughs> has this like sense of danger that, that is like real, you know, because you're in a junkyard. So there's sharp things. There's trip mm. hazards. There's... Um, People with cattle prods, like real cattle prods, because I don't know if like, what? you know, they're doing it themselves. So I don't know that they know that you can get a cattle prod that do looks real, but is it real? you a waiver to go into this? Yes. Yes, you oh. do. <laughs> okay. Yes, you do. So the junkyard is one. Junkyard's super cool. Um, there's been a few in the past. They kind of come and go. There was one that was, um, I was trying to find the name, but in 2011, I went to one that was, uh, it had a lot of splash effects. So you get a poncho. <laughs> And these things would like squirt vomit or blood oh. or colored water at you and stuff like that. Gross. That one that one was on like 14th and Tremont, but I couldn't for the life of me. It had like no online presence at the time. So I don't know what the name They're kind was. of fly by night operations sometimes. A lot of them are only like one season. Yeah. Okay. I went to another one that was, uh, 
called it was at where City Hall is now on South Broadway. Oh, the venue, the Temple. I yeah, think it's Temple oh, yeah, Nightclub. It's, yeah. yeah, Temple now. So before that, it was just like a raw space, and uh, it was like an adult-oriented haunted house where. <laughs> you know actors were topless and they could cuss and that kind of thing so <laughs> so there's quite a wide variety of haunted houses yes are there anyone is there another one that you would recommend this year that folks could go to yeah actually so aside from the haunted junkyard uh, i would recommend that one in the diy category but I, a good professional haunt that i just went to the other night was the ritual which is in inglewood and it's in a former country harvest buffet oh that's right which is scary <laughs> in itself, in itself. <laughs> But it was good. It was, it was good. It was really good. Yeah. Okay. That's the other thing I like about haunted houses. You know, they t- and I think you might be able to uh, commiserate with me on this is they take these old, old, dilapidated strip mall things and breathe life into them. I actually huh. worked in a haunted house uh, when I was in high school. That was in the old Tiffany Plaza Mall when it was sort of like What'd a you do? dead mall. I I played David Bowie from the Labyrinth, which I've actually never seen. Wait, was it Alien Terror? I don't know. It was a small operation. I don't know how I got this. someone I knew worked there and I was like 15 and they were like, we need somebody to dress as David Bowie and wander around this room with a strobe light. And I was like, OK, cool. It ah. wasn't scary. So <laughs> so you got the eyebrows and everything. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Can I do one more? Yep. If you're looking for. So, Peyton, this is one that I think kind of transcends. It started as a professional haunt, but has since grown to be a mega haunt is the Frightmare Compound. What's that? Um, so actually. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this sooner because they are like <laughs> Your local, favorite? local treasures, but also I feel like they have national recognition in the haunt scene as for well. For being that good. For, Where is it? That's how good they are. Up in Thornton, Westminster. Yeah. So they Well, have, wait, is it a house or is it a cornfield? It's both. So it was yeah. a family operated business that started in 1983. The father started it and it's since passed on to the son, but... It, it was their property. They lived there. They still live there. So there's a house. But built onto the property are three separate attractions. There's a maze. There's a burial simulation ride where you get buried alive. <gasps> I don't want to do that one. And then there's, of course, the original Frightmare Haunted House. One of the best ones, not only in Denver, but in the country. I think that's the one my mom took me to that. Yeah, that, that scared me. you for life? That probably. scared me for life. It probably was. Yeah, because my sister used to go to that one every single year. She loved that one. And they, my mom took me when I was like... I don't know, like nine, and it was horrible. Are you her first kid? No. Oh, okay. I was like, maybe that's what it was, but no, Tara was just doing what she wanted to do. No, she was just doing what she wanted. That family, it really is their passion. You can tell. They put a lot into it. Every year there's new stuff. It's rearranged. It's super thoughtful. So check them out. The Frightmare Compound? Yeah. It's time for our official CityCast Denver maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. Because as usual, there are so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, and we have opinions about them. Peyton, um, you round up uh, your best bets in our newsletter every Friday. Hey, Denver, you give us great ideas, but let's go through a couple of those and we'll gauge how all of us feel about them. Yeah. So check out the newsletter for a full list of Halloween weekend activities. Um, I kept it very spirited this week. Um, lots of great stuff in there, but I've picked out a couple that sound particularly interesting to me. So the first one is Muertos in Westwood. Um, It's a two-day event, and it's hosted by Rise Westwood and all of those awesome local businesses that host those cultural events like um, Cultura Chocolate and stuff like that. Um, So it's happening tonight and tomorrow. And this one is, their focus is less Halloween, but it's celebrating the heritage of Day of the Dead. Cool. And there's a lot of really, like they, they'll do like traditional cultural performances. There's going to be crafts and uh, authentic demos, and it's family friendly. There's going to be food and 
um, I, it's free to attend. So that's oh. tonight and tomorrow. And it sounds really, really cool, especially if you're not looking for something super Halloween-y, but a little bit more authentic. Dad, are you going to that? That's in our neighborhood. Yeah, for sure. I'll go to anything that Westwood puts on. <laughs> I was like, that also helps produce the Westwood Chili Fest, yeah, so maybe he's a little biased. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they do such cool stuff there. Yeah, they so, do great stuff. Next one. Uh, McGregor Square is hosting an epic Halloween party that's going to include a silent disco. I love me a silent disco. You do? I know that. that is how, oh, I love a silent <laughs> disco. Um, that's happening tonight on their heated plaza and food court. And you're supposed to come dressed up in costume. It's 21, it's a 21 over event. It's from 8 to 11 p.m. There's going to be three DJs operating the silent disco. There's going to be, tickets are $50, but it gets you food and drinks um, and basically the whole experience. And there's it's going to be decked out in uh, decorations. And it's supposed to be a really cool party so if you're looking for something a little bit more party and you want to drink and dance uh this sounds like a blast and wear costumes yes Hell and there's yeah. going to be a great, costume it's called contest. the graveyard groove yes. silent disco thank you brie yes i was trying to say they don't have the they don't have the djs listed thad oh is that what was going to change your mind about going? <laughs> i mean it might DJs? be people we know aaron stereo does a lot of those okay Tempting. What else we got? Okay. Next, we've got the Marijuana Mansion Tour. So <laughs> oh. I think a lot of you guys probably already know that the Marijuana Mansion, which is in Cap Hill off of Grant Street, um, it is notoriously haunted. Yeah. Right now it is. Yeah. So there's like, it's supposed to like have like real spirits and like stuff in it. Like apparitions. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be like really haunted. <laughs> see ghosts um, in the weed smoke. But... Now it operates as like, it's kind of like, not not a selfie museum, but they like kind of do mm. these events where it's like super decked out and you can go and you can like rent it out and then like smoke a bunch of weed and take cool Instagram photos. <laughs> Anyways, they're doing um, a haunted tour. So it's, they've been doing it for a few weeks now, but this is your last chance. This is the last weekend. They'll stop on Halloween and you can book out either a 30 minute tour or a one hour tour and you explore three floors and 13 rooms of the mansion that are decked out with quote unquote Insta photo opportunities. So if you're looking for something that's supposed to be like that you want to like real spook factor um that could be cool yeah. i'd be skeptical that most of the people going to take their pictures in there are really interested in ghost stories <laughs> i know i know maybe yeah. they say that it's just the the insta factor is just a plus but mm. that the real scary stories there's you know i know there are crowds of people though who really they dig the haunted aspect oh, totally. of it they go around the country okay. to different haunted places so i could yeah. see that so that's that's the tickets range from 30 to 45 dollars depending on if you want a 30 minute tour or an hour long tour would you go there thad I'm going to pass on that one. The The authentic haunting element is attractive to me, but the Instagram thing is not. Yeah, I feel you. But to each their own. I'm sure other people like that stuff. What That's if, fair. though, you go and you're doing the whole selfie thing and then a ghost shows yes. up I mean, right that, next to you? That would, be pretty right that would be pretty sick. I like that. I like where your head's at, Aaron. Okay, so the last event we have um, was actually not picked by me, but it was thrown in by producer Lizzie Goldsmith. You guys have heard her on a few times. She's our theater <laughs> I was expert. Like, this is a theater event. Um, so she wrote in to let us know that Much Ado About Nothing is uh, <laughs> happening at Spooky. Denver Center for Performing Arts. Um, they do wear costumes. Because so there's they the are on stage <laughs> in looks, the theater? Yeah, it looks like the show's <laughs> running through November 6th. Tickets start at $25 and go up to about 90 I don't know anything about Much Ado About Nothing, but I will read what Lizzie, the note Lizzie gave okay. me, which is, 
I suggest DCPA's Much Ado About Nothing. Fantastic Shakespeare comedy in its final two weekends. Kind of want to see it again, even though I'm not that into Shakespeare. The circular space definitely had a globe theater feel, and the ways they involved the audience were hilarious. Okay. So there's something family-friendly and not super scary. <laughs> I love me some theater. I'm going to say yes to this one. Oh, God. Of course you do. <laughs> I'm really I'm where I'm um, Muertos in Westwood. That's my vote is. I think I'm sounds, Westwood too. Okay. I'm Muertos in Westwood too. We're trying yeah. to come to a consensus oh. then, and we will stay here all day until. Well, no, just can people like hop to, from one party to another? Can I pick two? I'm gonna nope. pick two. I'm starting in Westwood. I'm ending <laughs> at DPCA. DCPA. DCPA. <laughs> um, I I mean. For the official city cast, maybe I think it's it's Muertos and Westwood. I think that sounds so cool, so fun, and then like that said, if you have time, even though it's against the rules, I might stop by the Silent Disco. Oh yeah, that'd be to me that'd be a better cap off of the night. So there you have it. There's there's our there's our city cast maybe of the weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. And I just want to plug our newsletter, Hey Denver, which you can subscribe to by texting Denver to six six eight six six, and then you get all of Peyton's recommendations for the whole weekend, which is even more fun things and to I do. And I jam packed it you this do. Friday. It's, you uh, do a great job. We're looking at like fifteen different Halloween recommendations. Um, so check it out. You want more deets on the on the events we just talked about? Subscribe. You'll you'll get that email, and it's got lots of great stuff in it. Awesome. Peyton, Aaron, Thad, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I've been a long-time listener. I made it. <laughs> this was so Hi, fun. Mom. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. I'm your host, Bree Davies. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe and rate us five stars. Follow us on Twitter at CityCastDenver and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you later.